I'm not crazy. Like what I'm saying is not crazy. It's like, no, we can really do this. We can we can have peace on earth and goodwill towards one another. It's not some crazy pipe dream. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. I'm Kim O'Hara, a book coach with a story inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life with a story to tell. Do these folks have a best-selling book in them? Stick around and find out. Sister Naughty has trained with the best in the hard and soft styles of martial arts. As a queer black female who was raised in South Central Los Angeles, where gang affiliation was the norm, and after time in the U.S. Air Force, she took a journey of reconstructing how to practice self-defense. She has spent the last 20 plus years working in social services, dealing with people in crisis on one level or another. As her book coach, I have had the privilege for many months to partake in deep discussions with her about how we can use our senses to practice more awareness in today's world to preempt the great fight society seems to always push us toward. Thank you, Sister Nati, for being here today. And I'm so thrilled that we're recording this podcast in my studio in South Central, down the street from where you grew up. It just feels really ancestral and grounding. So good to have you here. Hey, Kim, it's so good to be here. Yeah, really, it, it is fully coming home. Um, feels good driving these streets again. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, so tell me, you know, you were a kid who saw that kind of fighting that defined your perception of what martial arts was, uh, what the fight was. And you had some role models that came out of that. Tell us a little bit about them. Right. Well, um, you know, Bruce Lee was a big one. Uh, he definitely uh, impacted me and got me on the road. There's a, one of his uh, most popular movies, Enter the Dragon, was kind of the spot, the jump off for me. And it was really just seeing how one individual could be so impactful uh, on a community and, you know, watching those movies, learning how to, how to be safe and, and keep safe. I, I grew up in South Central, like in the seventies and um, there was a lot going on, you know, there was black power, there was brown power, there was girl power you know, um, and, and there were, there was a lot of, how can I say, a lot of issues to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And even though I was young, I knew that I had to do my part. You could feel it around you, even at a young age. And, and then when you became a teenager, what was that like? You had a friend who really touched you in this area that you used to practice martial arts with. Yeah, um, growing up as a teen out here was a little challenging. I was talking to my sister recently, and we were reflecting. Like, we used to get harassed by the cops. And at the time, it was just, oh, shit, here comes, here comes these cops again. Can I say that? Oh, <laughs> you shit. just did. Here comes, here, comes these, <laughs> here comes these cops again, you know, and they were they were harassing folks and, you know, picking on the friend. They were targeting us, but, I mean, we were kids, and these are adults. 
sanctioned by the state who were supposed to be keeping us safe. But I had um, one buddy, Mighty O, and he was he was really instrumental. He was a martial artist and really got me deeper into the dive. And we used to train together and um, we did everything together. We did graffiti together. We listened to music together. We would dance together. We were just, we were, we were great friends. And um, one day when I was home from leave, I found out, I was home on leave from the Air Force and I found out that he had been shot and killed. And it it fucked me up, man. Mm -hmm. It it rocked my world. Because he he didn't gangbang. I mean, you know, like if you're in the hood, you you know folks and folks know you. But um, he didn't gangbang. And for him to get taken out, that was like, dude was invincible in my eyes. So it really rocked my world. Um, And had me looking at things a lot different. Like if Mighty O could get taken out, what the fuck? The rest yeah. of us don't stand a chance. Man. Yeah. 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 And and I and I know that, you know, and we're gonna get to this in our talk, but you know, it's amazing where you've come from and what you've seen that, you know, your book that you've written speaks of practicing peace, you know, as compassion for what the offending party is experiencing through the, through the breath and noticing body movements that could tip you off to tension. How did you get there? What was the tipping off point that had you realize that you could go one way or the other way? And this way of going deeper into awareness was the better way. Yeah, I, you know, I think that it is kind of like peeling an onion over time. But the um, one moment that stands out where I, where I felt like I was at a crossroads was this one time I was uh, getting ready for work. And my partner, Vanessa, we were um, both in, in the house and we got into a conversation we were going to watch she wanted to watch this is we're we're at my house and um she wanted to watch the news while she was getting ready for work and i'm like no we're gonna watch cartoons we got into this big old thing going back and forth and um she was like well you need to know what's going on i'm like i know what's going on this is a bunch of bullshit hypocrisy and lies and thievery i don't need the details and some kind of way as the conversation proceeded it got to the point where she was like, this is important for you to know going forward. I'm like, look, I I don't know if I'm going to see tomorrow because growing up in the hood that, you know, life expectancy is short. And even though I had already left the hood, I had traveled the world. I'm now, you know, active duty in the military. I still had that kind of mentality. And what my partner said to me about that, like thinking that I might not live to grow old. She said, well, what if you do? And it had never crossed my mind to prepare for longevity in my life. And so that was one point that kind of um, did it for me. Yeah, Yeah, that's a strong one. That that realization of, oh my God, I haven't practiced for being here, being present, being alive, being like a, like, in, involved in the life on the road you're walking, right? Right. And this is this is after Mighty O had gotten killed. So even that 
that fear of mortality was even more uh, solidified in me, even though I had, you know, quote unquote, made it out. But it was still very much my reality. And then just, um, you know, shit, fighting, we've been fighting. We've been fighting forever. And it hasn't gotten us any closer to peace. So I started, I was like, if, if violence worked, right, we would have had peace a long time ago. And that became my thing. Plus, i just tired of fighting, just, just really sick of violence and, and, and the abundance of it everywhere. Violence everywhere. Sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know that there's a way to keep safe in violence that's around us because it is everywhere. And, you know, you know, my story just, you know, two days ago, there was an assailant with a gun on my garage roof right here in a, in a, on a, on a safe block, you know, and I thought of you, I thought of, how could I have better awareness of what you've taught, which is train your sight, train your sound, train your, train your ears, train your vision, be aware of the danger that's potential around you. Don't be oblivious. Like, how did you sort of come to write about this in the book? Because it's been very, very profound. So I, I studied hard styles um, for the majority of my young younger years, uh, I started training Tai Chi about 20 years ago. And the, the way I share it is that Tai Chi changed my warrior woman to a woman warrior. It's still as impactful as the other arts, but it gives me breathing room so that I don't have to default hurt somebody or break something as just as a response. Um, Self-defense martial arts training, we really run drills to make sure that we don't have to think in times of crisis so that we can just respond. And what Tai Chi did was allowed me more response time. And in getting more response time, I was able to find more options for dealing with challenges as they showed up. And some of those were the senses, spending more time and understanding the senses, how we take care of the senses, how we value our senses. And yeah, I love and I love how you write about how desensitized we are by everything that's coming yeah. at us. Absolutely. I mean, like most of the most of the fear and the danger that we deal with is not in real time. It's just digitized in some form or fashion. We're, we're you know, we're being bombarded by it, which makes us really hypervigilant to danger but what we don't get into is the amount of peace and safety that does exist in the world it's like you know in the 40 plus years that i've been practicing i've had more verbal emotional psychological challenges than i have physical right i've had fights but most of the stuff that i navigate is you know bigotry racism ignorance just um, ill programming that that is uh, geared toward violence. The Tai Chi, one of the one of the core practices in Tai Chi is listening, but it's not just auditory listening in the way that we think about it. It's an awareness um, that is termed listening. So you do use 
uh, more of the senses. And it requires a calm state and a peaceful state in, in a manner to be able to execute these forms and to train. Like you don't train Tai Chi hard and fast. You train Tai Chi slow and gentle with your breath which just slowing down and being gentle with ourselves, that's a workout for a lot of people. I know it was for me. So when we're out in the world and we are, you know, we encounter different conflicts or confrontations that aren't necessarily violent. There might be, you know, that person that I can't remember how, what you used for the title of it in the book, but you know, you had a, a name for someone that kind of draws you into a conflict and kind of hoodwinks you and then gives you hell oh. afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, you're thing. like blindsided <laughs> and like, we could sort of, we could see that coming if we like tapped into, oh, I've seen that before. Oh, I've heard that before. Oh, I know, I know if, I know if I engage with this type of person, this is going to happen. Looking at our own patterns so that we can serve others in a more compassionate way, like taking care of our side of the street. And, you know, when you came to me to write the book, your vision was one way. And a lot of that is still in the book. But this book blew up to another proportion. And I know this is the first book you've written. Tell me what it was like to write the book? Oh my gosh. Um, it was a, it was a wonderful, magical, mystical journey. Um, it was, it was like being on the, uh, on the boat with Willy Wonka in the original Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. There's no way of knowing which way we are going, but knowing, um, I learned a lot. I got real clear on, let me just say, Writing the book gave me an opportunity to do a deep dive that I hadn't had the space for previously, meaning that there were no time constraints and, and there was no, um, in, in terms of sharing out the information. Generally in class, you have maybe two hours, right, to spend with someone and share this, impart this information. But I had a whole book to do it. And so it was great, and it gave me an opportunity to go deeper and to pull out more of the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The subtleties mm-hmm. that that really make the thing. I mean, focusing on peace versus focusing on war changes up the whole game. It does. It does. And I, you know, immediately saw you. Early on when we were working together as the next Michael Singer, he wrote a book called The Untethered Soul. And, you know, I'm like a dog with a bone when I get it at something in my head. Like I I, I like sent that book to you like immediately. And I think we have to get him to endorse your book. And you started to read it. And when you were reading it, and I'm telling you, because he's a New York Times bestselling author of multiple books. How did you feel when you started reading that knowing that I was saying you're this, you're this good. Your message is this good. You know, honestly, like writing this book, I just, I I really feel like a a conduit is I had to write it. I I had to write it. It was like, if I don't write this book, my ancestors are not going to be happy to see me (laughs) when I show up. (laughs) 
you know, I have a lot of explaining to do. Um, but it felt good. And as I was reading the book, I was like, yes, he gets it. So it felt good to know that I was in that in that company. And also that I'm not crazy. Like what I'm saying is not crazy. It's like, no, we can really do this. We can we can have peace on earth and goodwill toward one another. It's not some crazy pipe dream. It's attainable. Yeah. Writers get these ideas. They have these systems or philosophies or they see a construct in which the world can work and then they get scared. They're like, who am I? It's, you know, it's the imposter syndrome. Who am I to write this book? Like, why would it be me? And I always say, why isn't it you? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was that, I mean, like, as I started writing it, I felt in the company of some amazing authors and I was like, okay. I, I felt like I was honoring the work. I felt like I was honoring the teachings that I've been blessed to, um, to, I don't know, have studied and, and over these years on this walk in martial arts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's been, it's been a journey. And what do you hope people can learn from your book when it's done? Cause I know you just finished the first draft. So you've got some work to do still on this book. Um, but from just first, you know, read of the first draft, what do you hope people can learn? That there are alternatives to violence for safety. Like you can be safe without, you know, just focusing on the violence that you can cultivate joy in your life and you can experience a, a level of peace that doesn't involve firearms or fighting. You know, we can, we can cultivate relationships and we can address conflicts without getting into confrontations. Like not everything is a fight. We, we really have to tap into the peace and the joy that, that is around us because it exists. So, you know, I want folks to, to live a safe, peaceful life. And hopefully the book will um, present some options for dealing with the challenges that we would otherwise be hardwired to fight and rail against. Thank you so much for being on the show today and spreading your wisdom. Uh, something that is the teachings are, are really needed right now at a time when a country is, you know, the world is really hurting. Uh, thank you for having me, Kim. I really, really am glad to be here. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. If you enjoyed our episode, tell a friend to listen, subscribe, and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And a big shout out to our listeners on CastBox, where you can leave a comment and I will personally respond.